Hey everyone, Nick here, Bud's Podcast Manager. I wanted to give you a heads up that the audio quality on today's episode is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to. As some of you know, Bud has been spending the last month going to different places and having different conversations with different people. So because of that, he's been out of the studio and using a mobile setup to be able to record some of these conversations. So what this episode lacks in audio quality, it more than it makes up for in quality of conversation. With that out of the way, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Constipated Christian. I'm actually out on location. I think we call it uh, Bud's out in the prowl looking for uh, people to be on the podcast. So I'm actually coming to them. Today I'm in uh, Folsom, California. I'm at a place called uh, Powerhouse Ministries. And I'm here with the uh, director, the, <clears throat> the uh, founder of Powerhouse Ministries. I'm going to let her talk about what it is. Um, her name is Nancy. But uh, what drew me to Nancy is a mutual friend of ours, Raina and um, uh, Myra, that uh, said that I should uh, come out and talk to her because uh, Raina and Myra and I are involved in doing things beyond Sunday morning and the whole thing about the constipated Christians getting out and doing stuff and loving our neighbors and uh, being servants, you know, just uh, helping people. So um, I was told that Nancy is one of those people and I wanted to come out and talk to her. And so I'm going to... Let her just tell us a little bit about how she got started in this. Uh, it's a beautiful facility. If uh, Are you online? You got uh, like a website or something? Yes, we do. Yeah, so I would encourage you to go on and just uh, read about them and, and just look at their facility. And uh, this is one of many or one of others facilities. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, something that kind of grabbed or they grew over, I think you said 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's not instant, but it's just, it's just a beautiful facility where we're at here today for the women. Um, so I just kind of—I want to let her uh, kind of open it up to her and just let her talk about. Um, it wasn't always like this. She started, uh, and I'll, I'll let her tell you about uh, just like a moment uh, that happened that she um, experienced. But uh, and the other thing, what I gleaned out of our conversation when we got on this, um, as we're uh, you know kind of preparing, is that she's uh, had some struggles, and it, it, this wasn't just all. Um, you know, it wasn't an easy road. So I'll, I'll ask her to talk a little bit about that also. So with that, I'm going to let Nancy just go ahead and talk. Thank you, Ben, mm-hmm. for the opportunity to, to kind of share a little bit of my story. Sure. Um, <laughs> I moved to Folsom because from Southern California because my husband had been hired to manage the construction for the new Folsom prison. So the day after we moved in, we went up to the prison to see the construction site. And I was totally unprepared for what I saw. Um, Back in those days, the women and children used to line the prison roads waiting to visit their loved ones. And God just grabbed hold of my heart. And I just saw their faces. And I knew that they needed Jesus. And I turned to my husband. It was Sunday morning. We were on our way to church. And I said, this is where the church needs to be, ministering to these people. And God didn't let me forget that. Um, three years later, I had a dream that I started um, a place called Powerhouse Ministries where these families could come and meet Jesus. And as a result of what was happening in their lives, it was an Isaiah 61 moment where the brokenhearted, the captive, 
um, the prisoner actually became the ones that restored the city. I saw revival break out in Folsom, and these people were leading it. Hence the name Powerhouse, because the Powerhouse mm. was built by prison labor. And the idea was that it would bring light to the city. And so we believe that God wants to use those wow. who have been in prison <laughs> in one way or another to actually heal and restore cities. And so that is our vision here. And so I didn't know what to start, what to do when I had that dream. Um, but I began, I found out about a woman who was leading Bible studies with inmates' wives. And I called her up and said, hey, can I just come hang out? You have to understand, I had grown up in a Christian family. I didn't know anybody who had been in prison. I didn't have that background at all. But I knew God had something he wanted me to do. So I showed up. Um, this lady was leading a Bible study with an auto harp. It was totally not my style, <laughs> um, not my people. But I walked in and I felt like I was home. That's all I can say. I don't know why, but I looked at those women. And I went, I, knew, I know I'm what God wants me to be. So a month later, she walked out and she said, I've been praying for you for years. Um, I'm too old to do this. Please take it over. And um, so it was meeting at a church that is now our Women and Children's Center. Um, and the first thing I did was I felt like the church was really intimidating to these families. And I really wanted people that were afraid to go into a church. So I moved it to the streets. So we met out on the front lawn of an apartment building. And I want you to know, I was a mom. I, you know, I had two little children, three little children by that time. And um, I didn't even know how to do what I was doing. But I did know that God loved these people and my heart broke for them. And I remember, I, I really, I wanted to do something great for God. That was always in my heart. But I remember one day when I was praying and the Lord said, do you think your life is too valuable to be poured out only on loving me? And I said, well, no, Lord. And he goes, the greatest thing I'll ever do through you is what I've done in you. And so um, I began to really, really seek the Lord and spend that time. And during that time, he broke my heart and began to show me his great love and compassion to reach people that believed that he was angry with them, people that would never come into a church because of their shame. And my heart got so full that I was willing to go places that normally would be scary. So I went to this low-income apartment building, started meeting people, started gathering them on the front lawn, Brought a couple of friends of mine, said, you can't do this alone uh, because we're scared for you, so we're coming with you. Raina was one of them, um, along with my friend Karen. So we gathered on the front lawn, and I led Bible studies. And um, what was really interesting is other women would come and kind of stand on the outside. We had a gang problem in Folsom at the time. And the gangs would bring the drugs in to the women, um, and the women would take those into the prison, and then they would bring the gang orders out from the bosses that were in the prison. So we were working with a lot of inmates' wives and their neighbors, and they were very key to that culture. And so after the Bible studies were over, the gang kids would come and talk to me. And um, I built some really deep relationships with them. 
And we, my husband at this point went, okay, if you're going to work with all these gang kids, I got to get involved with you. So he began bringing pizzas out on Thursday nights and we would just talk with the kids and love on them and tell them about Jesus. That became our youth group. And then on uh, Sunday night, some of my friends from church heard what I was doing. They would come out and bring, you know, ice cream cones and a guitar start singing worship music with them and do games with them. And that became our children's ministry. And pretty soon we had about 200 people that we were ministering to in various capacities, men, women, children, and we had no place to meet. <laughs> and so our group began to pray, God, what, where could we meet? And we rented an apartment building for a while, did that. Um, but that was too small. And then the church that I told you about where I originally started came up for sale and my husband and I began to pray what can we do um you know maybe we could sell our house buy that building and we had a donor come to us who said heard what you're doing and we want to give you the money to buy that church but you have to incorporate as a nonprofit." and so that was how powerhouse was born and and what's significant about that is that you know, when you do something that is God's heart, he provides the resources. And every time we have come to the place where we said, you know, we need to do this or we need to do that. We've never had a huge bank account, but God has always brought the resources. And I, and I guess kind of the story of my life is I was nobody. I didn't know anything. I knew God. And I knew that he was desperate to reach people. And I went. And my yes, God has backed that in so many ways. We now have five facilities and are reaching so many people. And we have two, we have a women and children's residential program. We have a young men and young women's leadership college. We have a church, we have a drop-in center. Um, we have a staff of 15 people. We have uh, about 300 volunteers that work with us, numerous churches that support us. And um, I guess my encouragement is, you know, God will provide. Yeah, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, the closer that we draw to God, the closer he'll come to us. You know, and he gives us little things to begin with. I'm thinking you're just your individual ministry. And, the, and if you're faithful in that, and he you know, just keeps going and just... And people don't, uh, you know, your story is, is so poignant that, uh, you know, you came from nothing. I mean, you didn't come from nothing, but you started very small, or seemingly insignificant, mm -hmm. reaching out to people that we don't really usually want to be around. And I experienced the same thing with the homeless and, uh, you know, people that are in and out of prison and on and on the streets, drugs. And, mm -hmm. you know, those are the people that we're supposed to interact with. It's, you know, the uh, church people. I'm just saying this loosely, but, you know, our friends and our community and inside the walls of the church, you know, we pretty much got it, you know, and we're pretty much safe and we're, you know, reinforced and we're fortified and we're building each other up. But when you go out on the streets and you I mean, just walk outside the door, to especially where you're going, you're going to meet people that don't have anything, they don't know anybody, they don't know anything about Christ, or mm -hmm. uh, and it's just so hard for... And it's even hard for me to get our volunteers. Uh, we uh, one of the things we were talking about was uh, going and uh, meeting these people, and um, uh, I don't remember exactly what you said, but there was a, uh, a couple a kid zone. It was called that name, the kid zone, in a, a demographically tough, a demographically uh, tough area around um, 
the bottom of, of North Highlands, uh, Watt Avenue and Auburn Boulevard, mm -hmm. and uh, some apartments down there. And they just started walking uh, down and knocking on doors and saying, hey, we're going to go to the park. We're going to play some games or whatever. Uh, would your kid, you know, do you have any kids? Would they like to come with us? And surprisingly enough, and they were in cars, you know, they had volunteers and the people would let their kids, now they weren't usually their parents because they would point out saying it's not even their parents, it'd be some uncle drugged out on the couch or a grandmother or something or just somebody just passed out or whatever. And they would just go with them, you know. And so uh, my point in being that, uh, you know, it, it just it just seems like, you know, your thing or, or, or her thing, uh, just, uh, you know, you're not really thinking this through that if I was to you know, plan this, I wouldn't be doing what you were doing or she was doing or even what, what I do. But as we pray to God, help us to uh, let us, you know, give us the word of, uh, you know, direction about what you want us to do, God. Uh, it comes in these weird, uh, uncomfortable, uh, uncanny, uh, just difficult ways or whatever. But it's just, it's God's way. So, I mean, I'm just so encouraged when you talk about stuff like that, that, um, People need to get out of their comfort zone, you know. They just need to get uh, we need to be uh, what do we call it uh, inter interrupted, uh, so to speak. So uh, I just love the fact that you're, um, you, uh, you know, shared your, but uh, you also shared that you started all of this and you had. I don't know whether you want to talk about it now, but you had some difficulties uh, in, in life. It wasn't it wasn't just that you were this beautiful princess and you were uh, taking care of and you were going to take care of everything and uh, life was just a uh, a bowl yeah. of cherries, so to speak. So did you want to talk to any of that? Yeah, so... Um, and this is as you're going through this. Yeah, so my husband, as I had mentioned, had been hired to manage the construction of the prison. Well, um, about four months after we moved up here, he was laid off. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was really interesting because it was kind of corresponded. He was looking for work, couldn't find it, and kind of corresponding to the time when we got the building... Um, he said, you know what, I think I'll just help you. And I'll keep looking for work, but I'll help you. And so he came into the ministry. Now, were you working at the time yourself? No, I was a stay-at-home mom. And so he kind of joined me while we were still looking for work. And um, we kind of made this deal. If in six months, if the ministry can pay a salary, then he won't go back to work. So it did. And so he stayed helping me. Um, so that was the first five years of the ministry, and then he got lymphoma and died, had bone marrow transplant and died, which actually, God used that in such a miraculous way because, um, you know, we had never had a drug problem. We hadn't experienced a lot of the things people had, but they watched us walk through the bone marrow transplant with three kids. And they said, you know, um, when we watched you walk through that, we knew it was real. That you could actually go through what you were going through and still be praising God and still be reaching out to us. And so he passed away. And so then I was um, running the ministry myself with three teenage boys who were angry with God for taking their dad and angry with the ministry for um, what some of them felt had killed their dad. And so um, that was really, really challenging. And so I, um, I got remarried. And um, shortly after I got remarried, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was 
like, oh Lord, um, but God healed me. And that was, that was wonderful, but it was rocky. It was really hard. And then um, a couple years later, my middle son was diagnosed with the same cancer that killed his dad. And so that really put me on my face before the Lord and um, that God healed him. And today he has, um, he's married, has two beautiful little children, um, just total miracle. And then about um, seven years ago, my husband um, lost his job and went through a severe mental illness crisis with psychosis and um, ended up that I needed to leave for my safety. And so um, that was really, really hard. And so, but God has been faithful all through that. And um, he's been my husband. He's been the provider for the ministry. And I will say that going through all of those things has really increased my compassion and my understanding of how God can heal even the worst pain. Because you know, addiction is not about abusing a substance. It's about anesthetizing pain. And it's something that I can relate to now. I may not have used drugs or alcohol, but I know pain. And I also know the healer. And so I have something to say to those that are in pain. Uh, I'm just going to say that, uh, uh, just off that note that, you know, it, it takes one to know one. So how could you be so effective to what you do if you hadn't gone through the same or similar traps, some tragedy in your life when you're dealing with people that are going through tragedy, they're, they're going to look at you and you're going to say, gosh, you know, what do you know about me? Yeah. Gosh, you know, I know a lot about you as far as yeah. going through tragedy and going through tough times and on and on. And your, um, your story of, gosh, I mean, it's just so heartbreaking, but uh, uh, another fellow named Joseph that I'm a friend with, he owns, he's a part owner of the uh, Texas Roadhouse. Uh, he lost his two-year-old son, Milo, mm -hmm. and uh, through, uh, it was uh, brain cancer, I think it was. But uh, me and about seven other guys were uh, privileged to be in his, uh, his walk through this thing. Mm -hmm. And as Milo was dying, uh, kind of for about a year, I guess, he would just never, wait. well, one time he waited. I think one time when he first found out about it, he got mad at God through some stuff or whatever. But then from then on, he just started praying about, you know, and he would share all these long um, scriptures and Bible verses and just sharing how he felt. Well, it was sad that Milo died. Uh, it was a, I think we had the memorial down at the uh, Bayside Midtown or something. There were all these people came just from all over because they knew him from the restaurant and they had shirts about Milo and the, the citrus heights knew him about, you know, supporting him and they really, you know, got behind him. But it was just such a beautiful thing that even though Milo died and it was so sad, just watching this man and his family walk through this terrible time, you know, which nothing worse than losing your kid. Um, but it was just uh, such a beautiful uh, thing that I was thinking like, gosh, God uses these terrible things to make us stronger, you know? So, and you know, we're at our strongest, we're at our weakest. So those moments you, you're thinking are just, Wasted, or I got to retreat or withdraw or whatever. They're the ones that really, you know, build us up. So um. I think I had this belief that I had to have my life together, you know, to minister 
to these people. And so when things started to fall apart in my life, um, there was a tendency to want to keep that quiet. And, but I couldn't, I mean, it was so overwhelming. And we have one of our values is we love dangerously. And what that means is love isn't actually love unless you allow yourself to be hurt by the people that you're loving. And that means you have to be vulnerable. And when I began to share my pain and invite the people I was ministering to into it, now you can't bleed all over the people because if you're bleeding all over them, you just add to what's going on. But just be vulnerable about what was going on in my heart. God actually increased the ministry because people felt drawn to that because they could relate. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like the woman at the well, Jesus asks her for a drink. He actually lets her do something for him before he ministers to her. And that's, that's an undergirding philosophy in our ministry that we don't want to be the nice church people that are going to do something for you poor, broken people. We want to come as, hey, we are people, we know brokenness, we know pain, we've been where you're at, maybe different circumstances, but we know, and we just want to introduce you to the healer. Because he's amazing, and what he's done for us, he'll do for you. And another illustration, or another or scripture, you know, uh, I, I can't think of the exact events, but when the uh, prostitute comes to the, you know, the house where they have, uh, you know, she was an uninvited guest and she takes her hair and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Mm -hmm. and uh, I, don't know, I mean, just, mm -hmm. so those, you know, you know, what I consider down and dirty, you know, the uh, the uh, wealthy, nothing is about Christ the King, you know, this aura around him that, you know, he's untouchable or, or, or he can't touch us. I just love that, uh, how God works within us. The, I mean, how he works within us at, at those times we feel that are the, are the dirtiest times or the, or the most um, unforgivable people or just the people that other people are, the people that don't know our hearts would say, God, and I've even been, you know, accused of uh, like enabling people because I do things for people or whatever. And, you know, anything that I do is not going to enable them. I mean, I'm just showing them an act of kindness, the gift of time, loving my neighbor. I mean, so I don't feel like I'm going to, you know, be able to uh, support them for the rest of their life. I'm just trying to, you know, be somebody that is the voice of God. And I love what you said about uh, going through tough times. I uh, wrote down, never the right time. I've been told so many times, gosh, this is just not the right time for me. It's not the right season. I'm going through some stuff. And I'm thinking like, gosh, you know, I mean, I'm sure the disciples and everybody that they talked about, you know, they they had times where they were going through tough times, but they just trucked on. You know, I mean, they they, they never stopped, and so that's more. Uh, I think, you know, we have to get, you know, uh, through uh, through good times and bad, we're supposed to be joyous. You know, so it's uh, we have to experience these uh, bad times with Christ. And then another thing you, you talked about, I just talked. I had another podcast this morning with a guy that uh, is doing like a men's thing, and we talked about how. When people go through things, they do want to withdraw. Use the word, you know, withdraw. We talked about uh, they can't come to the community group anymore. They can't be involved in church. They just kind of drop out. They go into drugs or whatever because they feel like, gosh, if I come to you or I keep coming to the group, uh, you know, your son or daughter is graduating from college. Uh, they're becoming doctors and lawyers 
my son is in prison or he's in jail, he's in drugs, he's in, you know, whatever. I don't want to talk about him because you have such a, a beautiful thing going on. My thing, what have I got to offer, you know? But we, as we talk through this, you know, we, uh, the people that care or that love on one another, we, don't, we, we want to come alongside you when you're down. So we don't want you to withdraw or whatever because it... Uh, it just puts that wall up. It's, uh, you know, we're not being transparent anymore. It's just, it's a distancing. And those are not the things that we want to exude. So we want to tell people, you know, when they go through these things, please don't withdraw. Don't, uh, you know, reach out to people like Nancy or me or people that are in your group because we do want to hear, even though our life might not be going through the same thing that yours is, we still want to come alongside you and help you. Or whatever. And, not, and there's nothing more important than that in our lives, so we would feel that if you were our friend prior to whatever is happening in your life, we certainly want to be your friend, you know, while you're going through this. So. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you've heard this, Fed, but they just recently um, have discovered that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Mm. We were wow. made for connection. Well, that's a and one. Yeah. so, um, the worst thing we can do when we're in pain is to isolate. Withdraw. And the most important yeah. thing is to connect. And of course, that's what the Bible teaches us too, that, you know, that's right. if you're sick, come get prayer. If you're in sin, confess your sins <laughs> to one another. We're here it's, for you. God's here for you. God is, I mean, God, we are here because God put us in your path. Or our paths come across each other because, you know, to accomplish his goals or whatever. So uh, that's such a beautiful thought that uh, you know, you're saying. But it's just so hard that uh, when people are uh, like on the street, I don't know what, how far down you go, but uh, you know, we see people that are on the street and they got it. We've gone to that, you know, uh, my wife and I have gone to the Francis Chan thing. We've mm -hmm. got out on the streets and because mm -hmm. he makes you go out on the streets and talk to them. I mean, they are at the at the bowels of society. They're they're laid in their own mess they're shooting up drugs we're, we are walking over them yeah. and you're thinking gosh you know how can anybody get this lower or whatever and i don't know your situation but you know our situation my wife and i are you know our family i, I just can't imagine now god don't make me eat my words but you know as we fall through these times of, of going down we always have support some fam some family member whether it be here where i was born or you know our uncles and aunts i can't imagine that when i would wind up in the gutter in san francisco so you know they've either they've distanced themselves their families have thrown them out they've been hurt so bad they can't reach out to anybody mm -hmm. so to me you know that loving your neighbor as yourself that's our extended family that that person in the gutter could be my son or daughter, so I'm gonna, I, I have to reach out to him. I can't just walk over him or, or you know, just say, gosh, he is so undesirable or whatever. I just can't be around him or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and I, and I want to point out uh, also one thing about, uh, this is a faith-based, uh, when you go to the website or you look at all the stuff that she does, it's such a beautiful thing, and you're gonna think that it's all government-supported uh, or whatever. It's a faith-based thing, so it can't be government-supported they get support from a number of churches, I think you mentioned. Yes. And um, I, I just love that too. So you don't have to hold back when you're, when you're mentoring these kids or people or moms or, or um, you know, anybody that comes here, you don't have to be uh, politically correct. You can just be God correct and Absolutely. speak the word. Yeah. So. 
So are we good, or you want to say anything else? We got about three or four minutes left of this segment. So <laughs> wow, okay, let me think. Three yeah. or four minutes. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you off if we get close to the one minute thing. But we can go into another uh, half hour or two yeah. if, if you want. But if you said anything you want to say, I want you to you say know, whatever you want to say. So okay, I'm gonna be super bold. You can cut this out if you want to. But um, one of the prayers that I had is God, I don't want to just be a light to people, I want to be a crossroads. And where they're actually confronted with a choice. So one of my earliest prayers was Lord raise up a choice where they can see if I choose this, if I choose Jesus, if I choose life, there's going to be support for me. We cannot make people willing to change. But once they are, I feel it's our obligation as the church to make them able to change, which means we come alongside and we support and walk them through that. So even today, I go out to the streets. In fact, tonight I'll be out at uh, Cesar Chavez Park because I, I love one of my favorite things is to go walk in with Jesus, to go, where are we going? Who are we talking to? But my prayer is like, okay, Lord, who do you want me to talk to? And what is the crossroads point in their life? And so I will, and that's how I started Powerhouse too, was Lord, what do you want me to do? And so he'd give me different things, like ask him about his daughter. I remember one day out here, a um, guy that was homeless, and I said, do you have a daughter? He said, yeah. And he began to tell me about his divorce from his wife and his daughter and his descent so he's telling me about his daughter and um, that that was losing contact with his daughter and his divorce from her mother and all of that was the beginning of his downward spiral in alcohol and that ultimately led him to living on the streets. And he's, so he's telling me this and he says, so what made you ask about my daughter? And I said, I just felt like the Lord said to ask you about her. And I said, um, how old would she be now? He said, she'd be like 19. I said, I feel like it's time for you to contact her. She's looking for you. And this man, I don't know whatever came of that because I didn't see him again after that. But his face lit up and I was able to pray for him. And just pray that God would um, be and help him to contact her and that he would be in that reunion. And there was hope on his face for the first time. And I, I love going out to the streets. It's one of my favorite things to do, to just see what God wants to speak to people. And uh, I had a man, I was in Washington, D.C. in this park, and he was in the middle of a drug deal. And I felt like the Lord showed me that um, he was going to lead his family and his brothers and sisters that God had just really called him as a leader. And he starts crying when I start telling him what I see over him. And he goes, my grandma called me the other day with the exact same thing she'd had a dream about. Wow. And she, he goes, God's talking to me. And at that point, this guy comes up to make a drug deal with him. I said, we're going to pray right now. You want to pray with us? I love, like, I, I, love that. I love I love pretending like I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> just, it's so fun so to just see what God will do. He just stood there and goes, oh. oh, no, I'm not going to pray. And he said, okay, fine. And we prayed. And um, it was really exciting. And I just, 
God, God shows up when we go out there in ways that, that I've never seen him show up in a church, to be honest with you. So we're going to wind it up, but uh, as she's talking, I'm thinking, uh, you know, we talked earlier about, uh, you know, we go to church on Sunday, we get fed, and uh, but you're not going to get this kind of stuff inside the walls of the church, I guarantee you. We talked about you praying for people or touching people in the lobby or whatever, but uh, boy, I'll tell you, when you go outside and you get out onto the streets and just uh, put yourself out there, and it's uncomfortable, it's smelly, it's uh, a lot of stuff that we don't like. But uh, I just have to think about what Christ did during his day. And it's not the same thing that we do during our day, I'm sure. And we can't just, uh, you know, we, we would, uh, I remember the, one of the messages we had in church, that if you've been coming to church for 10 years or 20 years or whatever, you've heard everything that I'm going to be, able, you know, the pastor speaking, you've heard everything that I'm going to be, uh, that's in the Bible. You've heard the Christmas story 10 times. You've heard everything that uh, that, that we've talked about. So, uh, this whole podcast started out, I, I used to call it being a, a professional student. We just keep going to church and just keep learning and learning and learning. We never graduate. One of the girls that helps me with the podcast thing, she said, gosh, I have, uh, you know, my, my view on that is, is I call it the constipated Christian. We take all the stuff in, but we never let it out. So that's how the, how the name evolved. And then James 1.22, being a doer of the faith, which, gosh, I can't think of all, all the podcasts I've had. I can't think of anybody more of a doer than Nancy. So, gosh, uh, thank you for taking the time. I'm glad Raina, uh, you know, I, I love Raina and Myra. I mean, they're just beautiful people, as you are, too. I can see why you guys are together. She spoke very highly of you. So uh, just thank you for letting me come and uh, hear your heart. And uh, I just would encourage people, again, to go on uh, Powerhouse Ministry. That's where they mm -hmm. should look you up and to see what they're all about. And do you take volunteers or have people? Absolutely. And our website is phmfolsome.org. So yeah, look us up and we, we love, we need volunteers. We're growing so rapidly and we really need more people. Yes, and I, and I can tell you from the years I've been doing this, uh, if you have a heart to help somebody, you're definitely gonna be in the right place. Uh, it's not gonna be just a a superfluous type thing or whatever. You're going to be actually out there on the streets helping somebody, I can guarantee you. So, so thank you for listening. God bless and have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Constipated Christian Podcast. However you are tuning in, be sure to follow or subscribe, as well as leave a rating and review. If you are interested in learning more ways on how to live out your faith, you can visit our website at theconstipatedchristian.org. And if you'd like to leave Bud or one of our guests a comment, you can email it to theconstipatedchristian at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.